please join me in the prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your spirit and your word, that in our worship we may experience joy and in our living become the presence of peace for the world. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village, which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to take a look at Holy Communion. And looking to last week and in the next few weeks, we're going to be spending some time examining our Wesleyan roots, which is to say remembering our United Methodist heritage. Last week, we remembered that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he taught about how there was a need for both personal piety, which is to say, nurturing our own relationship with God, as well as works of mercy, that social holiness that demonstrates our love for God and God's people. Well, today and in the next few weeks, we're gonna take a look at sacraments, beginning with the Lord's Supper today. I'll also be preaching on baptism in a couple of weeks, but next week our resident bishop, Robert Schneezy, will be with us to share a word. Bishop Schneezy grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, and he also served as lead pastor at First United Methodist Church in McAllen, Texas for several years. And so he comes with a wealth of experiences from living all along the Mexico-Texas border. 
As you can imagine, he has some stories of pain and heartache as he considers the plight of immigrants. He also remembers when the border between our countries was more fluid, and he'll share a tender story about baptism. You're not gonna to wanna to miss it. Today, we look at Holy Communion, where the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, the Great Thanksgiving, there are many names for this sacrament, but all of them point to this thing that we usually do as Methodists about once a month, the first Sunday of the month. It is a time to give thanks. That's one of the important things we do at communion. We give thanks for who God is and what God has done in our lives and in the lives of the world. It's a time to remember God's steadfast love in the midst of our bent to sinning, which is to say our tendency at times to not love God with our whole heart and to not love others as we love ourselves. Communion is also a time to give thanks as well as remember, a time to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to remember once again our call from God to be the very body of Christ in the world today by sharing love and peace wherever we go and with whom we, with whom, whoever we meet. Communion is lots of things. And I wonder as you worship this day what communion might mean for you what experiences you have. Perhaps you might have a moment of feeling a strong sense of the Holy Presence as you receive communion. Or maybe there's a time when you felt transcended to another time, another place, as you sensed loved ones from the past around the table with you. I believe that what we do around Holy Communion in our sanctuaries and in our worship places is part of what we can practice in our daily living at other tables, the kitchen table, the conference table, the dinner table, where we remember who we are and what God has done for us. Communion is so many things. One of the memories that I have of communion took place at a general conference many, many years ago. General Conference is in the United Methodist Church a meeting that takes place as a rule about every four years. And United Methodist delegates from around the world gather to make decisions about church law. And there are lots of good things about our church law. There are processes to hold clergy accountable. There is language that helps guide the local church. And there is also, I believe, harmful language in our current church law book. Some of you are likely already aware. It was in the early 1970s that the United Methodist Church prohibited clergy from officiating at same-sex unions and has also prohibited openly gay persons from becoming ordained as pastors. Now for anyone listening today who is not aware of these policies, it is startling and heartbreaking news. And for those of us that are aware, it's still heartbreaking news. What we have heard, we have heard of these ongoing explanations about the complexity of our denomination with growing numbers of delegates from conservative places such as Africa and the Philippines. No doubt the global nature of our denomination makes these matters complicated. But regardless of excuses, the United Methodist Church 
has been on the wrong side of justice for too long, which is why places like here, University UMC, have resisted. General Conference doesn't speak for us on matters of inclusivity. You, you have resisted by voting at a church-wide meeting many years ago by allowing same-sex weddings here by our appointed clergy. We place outside of our building brightly colored doors in rainbow colors on Guadalupe Street, reminding the world that God's doors are open to all. For many across the connection, the United Methodist Connection, who are longing for a more inclusive church, you, University UMC, are a light and a symbol of hope. Still, hope is hard to imagine at times, right? It's hard to hope at times. The reading from Luke's Gospel today is a post-resurrection account of Jesus appearing to people who found it hard to hope. Jesus appeared to someone that we know by the name of Cleopas and another person that is walking with him along the road. They don't know that the resurrected Christ is in their midst and they say with great anguish to him, we had hoped. All they know is that Jesus had been crucified. Jesus, the one that they had hoped would save them, but he was killed. Jesus, the one who came to share a message of love and forgiveness and justice and peace, a message that was so upsetting and so threatening that the powers that be of the day tried to put an end to it. They don't know what we know now, the promise of resurrection, the promise that in God's infinite mercy, the worst things are never the last things. All they know is that their hope had been crushed. And rather than rejoicing in the fact that Jesus was with them, they sunk into despair and said, we had hoped. Back to General Conference I was telling you about and the story of Holy Communion. The year was 2004 and General Conference was taking place in Pittsburgh. Delegates were meeting and once again, delegates voted in favor of retaining, of keeping the exclusive and harmful language. Following this vote, there was a worship service. It included the sacrament of communion. And as people came forward to receive the bread and cup, someone intentionally dropped one of the chalices holding grape juice. It was an act of protest, a sign of the church's brokenness. And it pointed to the anger and grief that so many are feeling. After all, they had hoped for a different outcome. All these years later, a great number of United Methodists who share our heart for inclusion and who share an act of resistance remember that shattered communion glass. In a recent Friday article, which you can find on our website, I mentioned that the United Methodist Church is starting to show up in the news again. As we look to election of new bishops and as we wait once again for a delayed general conference to take place and be rescheduled due to COVID. It was just earlier this week that NPR interviewed someone about what was going on in the United Methodist Church. You know, I often cringe when non-church news outlets talk about the church. 
but I was excited to see that the person they decided to interview was a United Methodist pastor named Kelly Scott. Reverend Scott is currently the chair of Reconciling Ministries Network, and she identifies as queer, and she is married to her wife. I want my friends and my former church members who question my continued relationship with the church, I want them to know about Reverend Scott and her witness. I also want them to know about you, this congregation. When I sat down to write a sermon on communion, this is not what I thought I would be sharing with you. This is not where I thought I'd be heading. I imagined a teaching type sermon, letting you know, if you didn't already, that Welch's Grape Juice Company has Methodist connection. And now, the, how the denomination, in an effort to open their table to all, has never used alcohol during communion. I remember a church member long ago telling me that one of the reasons they were United Methodists was because we don't use alcohol in our worship services. You see, they had been raised Episcopalian um, where alcohol was served and they were a recovering alcoholic and they felt more at ease with the Welch's grape juice. I thought I was going to be teaching about how the United Methodist Church does have an open communion table, meaning all who desire are welcome to receive the elements. I remember a church member many years ago at another congregation, she told me about how she and her husband did not want their children to receive communion. Their children were in elementary school. I still have this image in my mind of the family kneeling together at the communion rail. And I remember passing by with the bread as she would hug her kids tight around the shoulder and pulling them close to her as if to shield them from something. I don't want them to receive communion until they're older and can understand what it's all about, she told me. Understand, I remember thinking to myself, you mean you think you have this all figured out? Because I don't. I'm one, I'm one person of many who experiences communion as mystery. In my experience, a great number of children do too coming to the table with eager, open hands that are wide and ready to receive, they can teach us a thing or two about communion. And how many of us have experienced a child sitting around our kitchen tables? When there is bread on the table, they tear off the piece and they dip it into their cup, practicing at home what they first experienced in church. There is so much for us to learn about communion. And in my Friday article next week, I'll share a few resources about both communion and baptism for those of you who want to learn more. But most of all, mostly, I want you to approach the table, not with a spirit of learning, but with a sense of wonder and awe. Years ago, Years ago, our general conference adopted a written statement, a written document about the power of Holy Communion, and it is entitled, This Holy Mystery. Because while there are certain things to learn, much about this sacrament is indeed mystery. It transcends rational thought and the language of reason. 
It's about an experience. It's not a matter of the mind, it's about a matter of the heart. The people in today's gospel lesson were described by Jesus as persons who were slow of heart. John Wesley talked about having his own heart strangely warmed. Some of you might have a heart that is strangely warmed or a heart that is slow of heart. Your heart might be broken this day. However your heart is, you are welcome at God's table because God receives you just as you are. But above all, remember that communion, the communion table is mostly about God's heart. God's heart for God's people, God's heart for the world, God's love that is self-giving and open. God's love that is healing, taking broken chalices and broken people and broken institutions and using them for good in the world. I wanna close with these words from Reverend Scott, again, the chair of Reconciling Ministries Network. She writes, as a queer Christian, I see the many gifts and abilities that God has deposited within each of us and how those gifts are at work transforming the church little by little in spite of what the church has to say. The church needs queer people to better understand the expansive love of God. Amen.